Uh, all right. Now, I told you, those of you who do get, um, who are on our email list, I sent an email to you this week saying that I had a big, big announcement. Uh, no, I think I said huge. I think I said it was a huge announcement. Um, if you did not get that email, that means either I don't have your email address or you've put me in the spam folder. And so that's on you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I have a very, very big announcement. Y'all want to hear it? All right. Let's wait till the end of the sermon. And that way we'll keep y'all totally focused. All right. Thank you. Mark chapter 6. <laughs> now I know you're going to listen. But it's worth, it'll be worth the wait. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. You're like, is he really not going to tell us right now? Yeah. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. Many of you will know this story, but there's some, there can be some fresh insight in a familiar story. Uh, verse 30 says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. So the, the disciples are gathering around Jesus. The 12 apostles are gathering around Jesus. And they want to tell him about stuff that they've been doing. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So Jesus, being a good shepherd, being a good leader, knows that, the, that his disciples were a little worn out. They hadn't had a chance to eat. They had been working. They had been serving. We find out, we find out, from an earlier chapter, they had actually been on a missions trip. And so Jesus says, look, all right, it's time. You know, I, I'm going to pull you away. Let's get something to eat. Let's get some rest. Let's like, let's just lock it in a little bit. So Jesus and the disciples went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But how many of you know it's, it's hard to rest when, when there's just so many demands in life, right? Some, sometimes you want to go chill out. You want to relax. You want to get something to eat. You want to hang out with a friend. But, but there are demands in life. So it says this, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, let me just give you what's happening. Jesus and his disciples are shoving off in a boat. They're going to go to a solitary place. But the Sea of Galilee, you can actually see the boat out there. The Sea of Galilee is not that huge. It's, it's like a big lake. And so they, they, they look out there and they go, oh, that's Jesus and Jesus's boat and the disciples. And they're going over there. And so they, they all began to run over to that side of the lake. And then people started joining from all of the villages. And they were all running over to the side of the lake where Jesus and his disciples were going to relax. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, let me just tell you, there are thousands of people that had thronged together at this location. Thousands. We find out later in the story, there were thousands of people that had come together. And Jesus, even though he wanted to relax and get something to eat, his disciples were hungry and tired. He said, man, I got compassion for these people. I need to, I need to teach them. So he began to teach them. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already very late. And then they gave Jesus what they wanted Jesus to do. They said to this to Jesus, they said, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And you know what they're really saying? Implicit in this is, you know, will you send them away so that they can get something to eat, but send them away so we can get something to eat. 
We're tired. We're hungry. All these thousands of people. It's getting late. Can you just send the folks off and then let's get back to our time together, our alone time. But Jesus said something very paradoxical. He said, you give them something to eat. (laughs) They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go spend that much on bread and give these people something to eat? You can hear the frustration in their voice. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And you can feel the attitude in that. We have five loaves, little barley loaves. In fact, we got them from this little kid. There was one little, one little kid that packed the lunch, and he had a little tuna fish sandwich, and that's what we got. we got. We got thousands of people out here, and we got this one young man, and we got his little barley rolls. We got his little two sardines, and that's what we got, okay? Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate. All thousands of them ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Today I want to speak for the next few moments on the subject, when not enough is all you need. When not enough is all you need. Let's take a moment, let's bow our heads, and let's invite the Lord into this space. Father, we thank you. I pray, Lord God, you would fill my mouth with words that would be true and right and useful and transformative from your scriptures. I pray, Lord God, that you would open all of our ears to hear what you have to speak to us. I pray that our hearts would be open to your word, that it would be like seed dropping in the soil of our hearts. Make our hearts good soil, Lord, and let the seed produce much fruit. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. When not enough is all you need. This week, I was reflecting back on the first Sunday at One Family Church, which which was about... 11 years ago, 11 years and a month ago. And I was thinking about the time when we planted the church back in September of 2011, September 18, 2011. And the one sentence that I could say that characterized that period in our lives, the life of my wife and I, the one sentence that I could say characterized that experience is we didn't have enough. We didn't have enough. More specifically, there were three things that we lacked. We didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough talent. And we didn't have enough treasure. (laughs) Three small things. That's all we needed, but we didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough time. We were trying to plant a church. The Lord had put it on our hearts to plant a church. We wanted to to do it well. We wanted to be successful at it. We wanted to reach people with the gospel. We wanted to bring people in the community together to, to, to open up their hearts, to receive the, the gospel, to hear the, the word of God, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what we wanted to do, but we really just didn't have enough time. I was working a full-time job 
maybe, maybe more than full-time. I was cranking at my job. And then I would come uh, to my sugar coffee shop on Saturday nights, and I would start my sermon prep. Saturday night. And my prayer was, Lord, let me just be one step ahead of the congregation. I don't need to be a scholar. I don't need to be a theologian. But let me know a little bit more than the congregation tomorrow so that I got something to preach, God. (laughs) Will you help me, Lord? I I just didn't have enough time. We had a two-year-old son, Jameson, and we had a five-month-old son named Lincoln. And so my wife, I think we actually have a little picture of the family at that time. So so we we were just starting our family. My wife was clearly occupied with uh, children, and then she was also trying to be the worship director and the children's ministry director and the welcome team leader and the events coordinator and the decorator and what, whatever, other, whatever other, you know, role there was at the church, that was her. She didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough time. I didn't have enough time. That's number one. Number two, talent. Now, I'm not going to speak to her talent because she's very talented, but I can say this to myself about myself. I didn't have the kind of talent that I needed to do the job that I was trying to do. I just didn't have it. Those of you who were here during the first year and heard my sermons in the first year, you will have a special crown in your jewel in heaven, uh, a jewel in your crown in heaven for the patience and kindness that you extended. Because I, I, would, I was listening to, to pastors preach. I was listening to Tony Evans and Tim Keller and Andy Stanley. I was listening to all of these preachers, and then I was getting up and preaching, and I could just feel, I could just feel that it wasn't quite communicating the way that I wanted to communicate. I didn't have the ability. I didn't have the talent. My wife had never led worship before. I had never preached before. We got up, and we said, okay, we're going to launch this church, and that was the experiment that first year. So we, we didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough talent. We didn't have enough treasure. We just didn't have enough. We had been to church planting conferences, and they said, man, you need to have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. You need to have your first year's budget all planned out. You need to be able to focus full-time on the church. And we're listening to all of this, and we go, well, we, we don't have that. We don't have that. We didn't have enough money to, to hire anybody. We were all volunteer. We didn't have enough money for, for equipment. Westminster Christian Academy was kind enough to give, us, uh, to give us some of their old equipment at a very reduced price that we used. We just, you know, we didn't, we didn't even know how to use it. We just, we didn't have enough of anything that we needed in order to accomplish the mission and the purpose that God had put in our hearts and in our lives. We just didn't have enough. Today, as I look across our congregation here in City and and all of y'all down at Shaw and online, I am willing to bet that some of you there listening to my words resonate with what I'm saying because there are areas of your life where you know you don't have enough. You don't have enough. Some of you today are just saying, look, I I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Uh, Some of you moms are trying to get your kids to soccer and trying to get the homework done and trying to get the house done and and working your job and running all around. And you're just going, I don't have enough time to pull this off. I just can't do it. I just don't have enough time. Some of you students that are here, you've got your you've got your tests, you've got your classes, you've got your exams, you've got the you've got the resume stuff you're trying to build. You're trying to build a social life. Maybe you're trying to go on a date at some point. Right. And you're going, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to get it all done. Some of you men that are out there, just tr- you're, you're trying to be the, 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 the man God wants you to be, the husband God wants you to be, or the boyfriend that God wants you 
to be or the father that God wants you to be. And you're trying to navigate all of these different stresses and all of these different challenges. And you're going, I don't have enough time. Or maybe some of you are saying, I don't have enough talent. I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill. I don't have the education to accomplish the thing that's on my heart. God has put things in my heart, and I have desires and dreams and passions, but I don't have the ability to do it. I'm looking at other people. They've got the ability, but I don't have the ability. I just don't have the talent to do it. I'll never forget the, the time my wife and I went to a church planting conference at, at about maybe the six-month mark after we had launched the church. We started the church with 11 people, and um, that wasn't enough people. Um, and so we go down to this church conference, a church planting conference, and there are all these church planters, and they're all talking about, like, man, well, you know, God is doing all of these great things, and this is happening, and this is happening, and they all just seemed like everything was so great. And, and we were down there, and it was my wife's birthday, and we were at this conference, and she came out of a worship workshop, where they were talking about this is how you do in-ears and this is how you do screens and this is how you put the co- choir together and this is how you put the team together. And she's like, we don't have a team. We have me. I'm, it's just we don't have enough, right? And we came out on the sidewalk. I'll never forget this. I call it the breakdown in Birmingham. We were, we, were, we were on the sidewalk outside of the church, and she comes to me, and it's her birthday, and she says, you know, I, I can't do this. I, I, I don't have enough. I just can't do it. And she starts to break down and cry. And, of course, that made me break down and cry. So the two of us are standing on the sidewalk in Birmingham, Alabama, outside of the church, crying because we didn't have enough. We, just, we were giving everything we had, but we, we didn't have enough. And finally, when we stopped crying, you know, wipe, wiped our tears, we realized that we had been standing in front of a huge glass window where they were doing a workshop for the church planting. So all the people in the conference are looking at us going, they don't have enough. They don't have enough. <laughs> Maybe some of you are saying, hey, I I don't have the treasure that I need. I don't have the finances. I've looked at the books, and I don't have what I need to get things done. I don't have enough to accomplish what's right in front of me. I don't have enough for my family. I don't have enough for the the things that God has put in my heart to do. I just don't have enough. I, I can't make ends meet. I don't have enough. All of us know what it's like to be in the position of lack, to be in the position of insufficiency, to be in the position where there's some aspect of our life that is not enough. The day that Jesus took his disciples across the Sea of Galilee and they saw this throng of people, this multitude of people, all of whom wanted something from them, all of whom needed something from them. You know what the disciples said? They said, we don't have enough. They said, we don't, we don't have enough, Jesus, to, to take care of these people. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough talent. We don't have enough treasure. Let me give you the backstory on, on what was happening there. I mentioned it at the beginning, but Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two on their first missions trip. And they had come back to Jesus, and they were telling him what they had done. They were telling him all of the great things that they had accomplished. And they were excited about what they had accomplished, But they had just finished accomplishing it, and they were trying to tell Jesus, and they wanted his attention, and they wanted his applause, and they wanted his affirmation. They wanted wanted him to say, good job, right? You know how how sometimes when you do something good, you need somebody to to look at you and go, that was good. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, or are you all just perfectly self-satisfied in your own? The other day I was... (laughs) 
I was getting ready to do some pull-ups, and my wife was in the room. I'm getting ready to do my pull-ups, and she's getting ready to leave the room because she had somewhere to go. And I said, hey, babe, can you just stay in here for a minute? She goes, why? I thought you were getting ready to do pull-ups. And I go, yeah, that's why I want you to stay in the room. She goes, I don't understand. I go, I want you to see me do the pull-ups because I want you to think that I do good pull-ups, I guess. I don't know. Can you just stick around for a minute? So she stood there, watched me do my pull-ups, and she goes, that was really good, honey. I go, thank you. That's, that's really all, right? That's what the disciples are doing. <laughs> You're so strong, Brent. You're so strong. <laughs> so <laughs> the disciples are going, we did such a good job, you know? We did a great job. We want your approval. And Jesus is saying, okay, yeah, 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 he's following, right? But all these people are coming around. And so the disciples are like, man, we just, we want some time with Jesus. And then they get across the lake, right? And the people are there, and the people want something from them. And they go, we don't have enough. In fact, here's exactly what they said. They said, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can get themselves something to eat. We don't have enough. It's getting late. We don't have enough time. There are thousands of people here. You want us to somehow feed them, but we don't have food, right? We We don't have what we need. We don't have the talent or the ability to do it. And remember what they said when, when he told them to, to, to help the people. They said that would cost like half a year's wages just to get bread. So first of all, we don't have time. We don't have talent. We don't have treasure. We don't have what we need to do what you want us to do. And yet Jesus says something that just, I, I don't know why it shocks me, but he says it, it shocks me when he says it in verse, 30, he sa- verse 37. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, what is going on here? Because they clearly do not have what they need in order to give this throng of people. And it says 5,000 men. That might, there might be another 5,000 women and children or 10,000. We don't, we don't know how many, but there are multiples of thousands of people. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do something that is impossible. And here's where the story gets interesting because it's only after their recognition of insufficiency that Jesus begins to perform the miracle of multiplicity. In other words, there's going to be a point in your life where you need to get to the point where you go, I can't do all that you're calling me to do. Now, let me just tell you this. If you are able to accomplish the purpose and the vision that you have in your life right now on your own, you need a bigger vision. You need a bigger dream. Because you need to have a a dream and a vision from God that you are not capable of accomplishing on your own. If you're capable of accomplishing it on your own, you are not accomplishing what God is calling you to accomplish. Because he never gives you a dream to do what you can do without him. And so now he's saying to the disciples, you've got to do it. I want you to feed them. And they say, well, we just don't know what you're talking about because we can't do it. And then Jesus begins to reveal to them what it looks like when we start to follow him, when we start to follow him with our trust and our will and our reason, and we start to really understand 
what he's doing in our lives. He says this in verse 38. He says, how many loaves do you have? He asked them, go and see. And they found out, they said, we have five loaves and we have two fish. What's he, what's he saying? What is he teaching? What is he teaching them? What is he teaching us? Here's what he's teaching. Bring him what you have, even if it seems insufficient. You've got thousands of people that need food, and you've got one lunch. You've got one sack lunch. And he says, well, bring it to me. Bring him what you have, even if it seems insufficient. I will tell you, when we planted the church, I've already explained, we were, we were insufficient in every category. But there was something in our hearts where we said, let's, let's bring him what we have. Let's bring him the little bit that we have. And what we have seen over and over and over and over and over and over again is that Jesus is a multiplier. Some of you may have heard the economic term multiplier effect. The multiplier effect is when the change in the output is larger than the change in the input. One example of that would be that if you invest some money in a good investment, at the end of the investment, the investment will be larger than what you put in because there's a multiplier effect, compounding interest, right? Jesus is the ultimate multiplier effect. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to bring me the little bit that you have and watch what I will do with it. Now, I'm not a math person, but I looked this up. When you take one lunch and you make 5,000 lunches, that's a 500,000% increase. That's a multiplier effect. That is far beyond what any of us could ever do or imagine. Jesus took the little, and he made much. Last Sunday, by God's grace, we had over 1,000 people join us in person and online. Here at U-City, at our Shaw campus, Online, we had over a thousand people join us in worship, worshiping God, singing together, praying together, right? Eleven to a thousand, there's a multiplier effect right there. And it's not it's 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 not about oh having a big church. It's about reaching people with the gospel and seeing their hearts be transformed and seeing their souls be nourished and seeing their hearts be fed and seeing their spirits be strengthened by the power of God. Oh, I have another story. I don't know if I have time to tell it. I'll give it to you quick. Some of you know that 18 months ago, we, a group of people at One Family Church came together and we launched an organization to address housing inequities in St. Louis uh, called The FAM. And some of you may know the history in St. Louis, but for decades from the 20s until the late 60s, St. Louis was segregated by race when it came to home ownership. It, throughout St. Louis uh, from the 1920s until uh, the late 1960s, um, African Americans in St. Louis were not permitted by law, not by choice, but by law, they were not permitted to purchase homes in flourishing neighborhoods. And that caused a, 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 the landscape of the city that we see today. So a group of people came together and said, can we, can we address this overwhelmingly huge problem? And we didn't have enough, but we had a vision to eliminate race as a factor in housing in one generation. And so we came together with what we had. And our goal was, let's see if we can assist five families to purchase their first home in the next 12 months. That was 18 months ago. We've closed on 49 homes. We're closing on our 50th home on Tuesday. That's a multiplier effect. So far, the fam has 
spent, has given $595,000. But the increase in net worth of our clients has increased to $1.3 million. And the value of their homes currently stands at $9.3 million. So there's a multiplier effect. And it's not just our families. It's their children and their children's children. And it's the neighborhood. And it's the school district. And it's the businesses. And it's the homes. And it's the region. It, it, there's a multiplier effect. When you give God what you have, he breaks it open and multiplies it. Some of you are listening today and you go, I don't have enough. And let me just encourage you. Give him what you have. Give him what you have and see what he does. So they bring him the, 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 the little lunch. And then it says this. After they brought him the five loaves and two fishes, he told them to get the people ready uh, to eat. In verse 39, it says, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. I just love the detail that Mark says the grass was green. I don't know why he says that. Probably because it was. It was springtime, and it's like picnic weather. He says, you know what? Let's, the grass was green. So they put them out on the grass in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, why am I doing this? Because at this point, we've got one lunch. We've got five loaves, two fishes. We've got 5,000-ish people. You're asking me to get them ready, put them at picnic tables, and get them ready to eat. I don't understand that. You want me to prepare them to eat, but we don't have any food. <laughs> What are you trying to do, Jesus? This seems nonsensical. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. He's saying this. Do what he requires even before you understand his reasons. He's saying, I want you to walk it out. Listen to my instructions. Walk it out even before you understand why I'm telling you to do what I'm telling you to do. We have seen this so many times in the life of One Family Church. And I, I will tell you that I have to get hit over the head sometimes with a board when it comes to this because I've got a plan. I've got my own agenda. I've got my own process. I like to say, hey, here's the way we're doing. We're going to do this. And I've tried this so many times. And God keeps going, no, 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 we're doing this, right? Years ago, for years, we tried to find a, a, a building because we had reached two services at the Tivoli and we needed a new building and we started looking around at buildings and we found a building that we wanted and we put our little package together and we had meetings and we had the trustees came together and the ministry council came together and our leaders came together. We had it all mapped out. We had our proposal. We gave our proposal. We submitted it to the realtors. We said, we're going to buy this building. And you know what the realtor said? That's not enough. By a long shot, it's not enough. We want three times what you're willing to give. We started looking at other buildings and seeing what they had to offer, and we realized we don't have enough. We don't have enough to get what we need. And then out of seemingly the clear blue sky, we're at a staff meeting the week after we got rejected on the building that we tried to buy, and Ernest Carter, a uh, member of our church and, and one of the worship leaders here, says, oh man, my sister uh, sings at a church down in the Shaw neighborhood, and I think they're getting ready to close down, so I don't know what they're getting ready to do with that building. But I don't know, you know, maybe we should look into it. Never considered that before, right? We, we picked up the phone. We called uh, the United Methodist Church that owned the, the building. And the guy said, hey, what do you want to do with it? Are you trying to make a parking lot? Are you going to do a, you know, a, a dance club? Or, you know, what are you going to do? I go, no, we need it for a church. He goes, okay, that's what I wanted to hear. It's about a 25,000 square foot building. He said, we'll give it to you for $170,000. <laughs> I went like this. Carol had to pick up the phone and go, we'll take it. No. I just... So now we had to put about $500,000 into it, right? 
But suddenly we launched a Shaw campus. And, and in order to launch a Shaw campus, we had to learn how to live stream. So our team started learning how to live stream. And we got all that dialed in, and we started live streaming down to the Shaw campus. And then four months after we opened, COVID hit. Everything shut down. And we go, God, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're doing, right? But then we realized, oh, we just learned how to live stream at a time when we need to learn how to live stream because we can't reach the congregation unless we live stream. And so Pastor Tyler and Ernest Carter got about 20 or 25 pastors in the community around us, and we said, we're going to teach you how to live stream so you can reach your congregations as well. And so we taught 20, 25, I say we, I don't know how to live stream, but Pastor Tyler and Ernest <laughs> taught them how to live stream. And, and we said, you know, if you've got a hot spot, you know, and an iPhone, uh, we'll, get you, we'll get you streaming. Get yourself a YouTube page. And we taught 20, 25 pastors in this city how to live stream so they could reach their congregations, right? Because sometimes God is doing stuff that you don't understand. He's just saying, look, I want you to follow my requirements even if you don't quite yet understand my reasoning. So that's what we began to do. We began to walk it out. Some of you today are thinking, Lord, I don't know why you've got me doing what I'm doing. Let me just, let me just encourage you. Be faithful. Be faithful. Trust him. He's got something for you. Then he's got everybody sitting in all of these sections. Verse 41 says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Now, I want you to look at the order of that. He didn't break the loaves and then give thanks. He gave thanks and then broke the loaves. In other words, he was giving thanks for an insufficient meal before experiencing an unimaginable miracle. He was giving thanks before the miracle took place. Here's what he's teaching us. Number three, give thanks for what you have and trust him for what you need. We need to thank God for the present and trust him with the future. We need to thank God for the meal and trust him with the multiplication. We need to thank God for the basics and trust him for the bonus. We need to go, God, I, I've, I am thankful for where I'm at right now. I am thankful for what I have right now. I'm thankful for the breath in my lungs. I'm thankful for the clothes on my back. I'm thankful for what we've got right now, and I'm going to trust you with the future. During the breakdown in Birmingham, my wife and I, after that little time, that little breakdown, we started... We started changing our internal mind and our internal heart. And we started giving thanks for where we were. And we gave thanks for serving 11 people. And we gave thanks for the opportunity to do the little bit that we were able to do. And over the years, God has just continued to bless and, and, and honor that faithfulness of this church family, your faithfulness, as we say, look, God, we're, we're grateful for what we have, and we trust you for where we're going. We are thankful. Let me encourage you, church. I want you to recognize that your life, your future, your dreams, your aspirations, the plans that God has for you are in the palm of his hand. He's got you. Thank him for what's present and trust him for the future. All right. You've waited long enough. Are you ready for the announcements? <laughs> I knew I could get that sermon in if you were waiting for announcements. So... We, as you know, we, we, we started off, we started off with little. We said, God, you know, we're going to do what we can. Um, I, I'm going to give you, I told you I was going to give you a announcement. I'm going to give you three, okay? 
Is that good? Okay. The first one is that for the last 10 years, One Family Church, even when we were just teeny tiny, every year we gave away 10% of what was given to the church. That's part of our requirement. It's part of our bylaws. It's what we do. And we use that money to, to bless other nonprofit agencies and other organizations and missions organizations locally, nationally, and around the globe, right? At our trustee meeting this week, we all began to think and pray, and we've been talking about this for weeks, and we've been thankful for the way God has blessed One Family Church and, and, and grateful for the opportunity to do our small part in what God is doing in this region. And so for the last 10 years, we've given away 10%. This is our 11th year. So this year, we're going to go to 11% in terms of what we're giving out the door. And we're tithe, this is a tithe plus one. In the 12th year, we're, 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 going, we're going for 12. In the 13th year, we're going for 13. And, and I'm not going to say anything beyond that because I don't know where the number stops. And the trustees are going, zip it. But, but I, believe, I believe in this. I believe in the generosity paradox. I believe that when we are giving and when we are faithful and we give God what, what we have, whatever little bit it is, he multiplies it. I believe in it. I believe in it. So that's where we're at. That's announcement number one. Announcement number two. Um, I've been meeting for the last year with a group of local pastors. In fact, I, got, I think there's a picture of us over here. Yeah, so there's, some of you may know some of these pastors. It's Bishop Mike Jones from Friendly Temple. It's Archbishop Rosansky. He's the Archbishop of the uh, Archdiocese in St. Louis. Uh, Jeff Cloyter is the Christ Memorial Lutheran pastor. Thurman Williams, New City West End. Darren Casper, Metro Baptist Association. Uh, there's a representative for Bishop Wooten, Church of God in Christ. Uh, Greg Holder from The Crossing. Clay Smith isn't in the picture because he was Smith, uh, sick that day. Uh, he's the pastor of Central Presbyterian. And then there's me over there. Uh, and, um, and this group has been getting together about every month or two for the last, you know, year. And we got together initially for just encouragement and support. But we said, you know, let's do something. And collectively, we began to say, hey, what can we do collectively? Put our, all of our little bits together. What can we do collectively in this region? And so we began to say, we're going to, we're going to lean into the issue of housing all the way from homelessness all the way to home ownership. And we began to say, look, let's, let's, let's get together a group of organizations that can work together and let's collectively support these organizations. And at the beginning, I thought, well, we'll see, Lord. You know, I, we don't have enough, right? And I'm, I can't give numbers now because I don't know that it's official. But I will say that so far, the amount that we have put together has six zeros on it, not five and not four. And so there is a m mass uh, movement that's going to, you'll hear more about in the spring, for these pastors and these churches from all different denominations all across the region, all different backgrounds to say, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to do this together. We're going to make an impact when we all put what we've got together. Every year we have a surplus of giving because we give according to our budget, which means at the end of the year, if more than was given than is budgeted for, we have a surplus to give away. And uh, this week, the trustees approved us to give that surplus to this group where we can pour all of that into this initiative to bring people from homelessness to homeownership throughout St. Louis. So that's announcement number two. Amen. <laughs> announcement number three. Man, I got to close. Announcement number three. So when we opened the Shaw campus um, back in 2000, I guess that was 18, 
uh, because of the renovation that we had to do, we had to take out a, a, a note uh, for $476,850. And that was, you know, to cover um, the, the renovation. It was a, basically a construction uh, note. Um, this week, as we were in our trustee meeting, um, our, our trustees began to crunch the numbers. And they said, you know what? Let's not, let's not hang on to that note anymore. So as of Thursday, no, Friday, November 18th, at 4 o'clock, 4.03 p.m., we got an email that said, just from, from, this is from the bank, just wanted to let you know that the payment went through and the loan has been closed. We have paid off the Shaw campus free and clear. Now, I know this is old school, but I've always wanted to do this. Keep the fire department close. Um, now we got to wait for it to burn. All right. I'm glad it's not a two-page note. Uh, we, we literally, <laughs> I love fire. It's so fun. Uh, we, we literally, <laughs> Rebecca's like, that carpet, don't get ashes on that carpet. All right. I think that's all the words, so we can let it go from there. The, the, the Lord takes what you have, the little that you give, and if you're just faithful and you just say, God, I'm just going to keep doing what you call me to do. I don't always understand where it's going. And somebody asked me this this week. They said, literally this week, they said, what's your, like, what's your vision? What's the big picture that you have? I go, man, God doesn't show me that. God shows me the next step. God says, I want you, if, if he showed me the end game, <laughs> I might lose my mind. He said, I'm just going to have you take the next step. I'm just going to show you enough to take the next step. And I just want to tell you, one family church, I am so deeply grateful and honored to be a part of a church community that loves God, loves one another, and is acting out and living out this generosity paradox in ways that I could never have dreamed of before. And I will tell you this, on a personal level and on a pastoral level, you don't have to participate in the generosity paradox if you don't want to. You do not have to give your time, your talent, or your treasure if you don't want to. But you could not get me out of that paradox if you had a crowbar because my life has been transformed by the, by the way the Lord has blessed me personally and our church when we say, gosh, we're going to just give. Now, here's what here's I'm going to end. Here's where the paradox comes in. I never noticed this in the scripture before. At the beginning of the story, the disciples were hungry. Remember, they didn't have enough to eat. They were all saying, we need, we need something to eat. Can you send these people home? We need to get something to eat. They were hungry. I never noticed this before. There were 12 apostles. They were hungry at the beginning of the story. At the end of the story, Jesus said, go pick up the food that's left over. There were 12 basketfuls left over. That means not only did every disciple get a meal, every disciple got a feast for their friends, their family, and themselves. They all had a basketful of food left over. There's a paradox involved in generosity. When we pour out, God pours in. It's just transformative. And the greatest generosity paradox of all time, of all time, is not the one that we do. It's not the one that we give. It's the one that we receive. Because the king of kings became a servant that's a paradox. Why? So that you could become kings and priests. The eternal God became mortal. Why? So you could have eternal life. The creator of life submitted to death so that you and I could live forever. 
the sinless Son of God, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a paradox. It's a paradox. And today I just want to invite one family church to say, God, we don't know what you're doing with us, but we are giving you our heart, soul, mind, and body. We're giving you our spirit, our time, talent, treasure, and we're going to see what you do. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. God, you're so good to us. You are so good to us. We don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know, we don't understand. But you're so good to us. And today I just pray that each and every one of us, Lord God, would open ourselves to the reality of who you are. We would experience the power of who you are. We would experience the joy of who you are. We would experience the abundance of who you are. I pray that our spirits would be filled with the blessings uh, of, of the heavens, Lord God. I pray that we would not be filled for ourselves, but we would be filled to pour it out. We would be blessed to bless others. We would be so filled to overflowing that it just streams of living water pour out of us around this city and around this community. I thank you, God, for the way that you have poured into us. And today, Lord God, we just ask that you would strengthen us, fortify us, build us up, empower us, Lord God, to do the impossible. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen, amen. Would you stand with me as we close? If you need prayer today, I want to invite you to come to the front. We've got prayer team workers that are going to be up here for this last song. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is your opportunity. Come follow Jesus. Come put your trust in him. Come put your faith in him. Come bring what you have. Bring your sin and get his righteousness back. If this is your church home, we invite you when you get home and you're not, you have, if you don't give to One Family Church and to the mission here, go home, sign up, and, and start giving at One Family Church. If you're a guest or a visitor, don't feel any obligation to do that. This is, this is what we do as an act of worship and an act of expanding God's kingdom throughout this region. We have communion cups and communion pods available to you on your way out. Feel free to grab one and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Let's sing together, open our hearts, open our mouths, and we'll sing. Amen.